just pray and jump right in. Lord, uh, thankful, God. Week after week, Lord, you're right here. Your words alive speaks to our heart, Lord. You're faithful uh, to, from generation to generation, Lord. You're so good. God, and we can trust in your word. It's, it's an anchor for our soul. And uh, we just give you this morning, Lord, we pray, God, for ears to hear, God, hearts yielded, sensitivity, Lord, to your spirit. We know that your word doesn't return void, that it goes forth and accomplishes the work that you've designed it to, Lord. Uh, so we just ask you, Lord, to, to uh, uh, help us to hear today, Lord. Give us ears, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Last week, tough week for David. Uh, David, this isn't going the way David thought it would go, right? David uh, kills Goliath. David, uh, Saul loves him. Saul says, hey, you're not going home anymore, right? And he invites him in to become a warrior, uh, you know, the captain of his guard along with Jonathan. And Jonathan loves him. And people love him. And David's thinking, Lord, thank you so much. I know what you've got planned here. This is amazing. And then the tables turn for David. You know, David thinks he's got, Lord, I know what you're doing. And then the tables turn and, and Saul tries to kill him. He sticks a spear in the wall, tries to spear him to the wall. And, and you know, it, that's the way life is sometimes. You're traveling through this life, traveling through this world, and, you know, sometimes even when you get saved, you're expecting something different. Man, this is great. My friends are going to love me now. I'm going to share Jesus with them. This is what everyone's looking for. And all of a sudden, instead of gaining friends, you're losing friends. Instead of uh, things becoming easier for your, in your life as a Christian, life gets a little more difficult. And, and sometimes that's just the way it happens. Peter says this, uh, that he, he says that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything we need to make it through this life and to get through this world. Why? Because this world is going to throw you a curveball. This world is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard at times. And he's given us everything we need. The instruction of his word, the power behind it to help us to walk in it right? The hope of heaven. He's given us everything we need. Why? Because we need everything we, that he's got to offer. Because this life gets hard sometimes, becomes difficult. And now David is walking through some of the difficult days of his life. Alan Redpath, in his book that he wrote about David's life, says this, I think I, re- I know I read it last week, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is the work of a lifetime. Listen, you can get saved this morning, have your eternity changed. That can happen today, just in a second. It's a prayer away, right? But the process of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, that's lifelong. That's lifelong. And that's what happens when you get saved, that now God's word and his Holy Spirit is now changing you and molding you and shaping you. And oftentimes it comes through adversity, right? We don't like adversity. We we don't sign up for adversity. That's oftentimes what we're avoiding, right? We're traveling down the road in our car and Google says, 
you know, there's an accident up ahead. It's a 30-minute, and we avoid it, right? This is coming up, and if we had a Google uh, Maps for our life, and there was an accident or a trial or a difficulty down the road, we'd look at it and say, okay, let's, we got to go around that. I don't care if it takes a little longer, but let's make it around this difficulty. Let's make it around this trial. But these courses are core courses in our life, what we go through, the difficulties. They're, they're, they're what molds us and shapes us sometimes. Turn to James chapter 1. I've read this before. James chapter 1, verse 2. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Right? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Uh, James, I'm not there yet. Uh, That word trial... In the New King James, one of, the, one of the words for that means an experiment. I don't necessarily like that translation. Like, let's see what's going on here. Let's try an experiment and see how Harley makes out. See what happens. I don't necessarily like that, right? But trials, they're adversities, they're afflictions, and sometimes they're temptations, And James says, count it all joy when you go through that, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces patience. It's working. And he says in verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's where our maturity comes in, that we're perfect and complete. That's how you mature. You walk through hard things, and you become mature. You grow. In adversity, I grow in adversity. We don't like it all the time, but that's where we grow. Turn to First Peter, chapter one. Verse five. Peter says that you're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, right? God's people, you're kept by the power of God. That's great to know. God is keeping you. He's holding on, right? When I walk across the road with my son now who's four, but any of my kids as I've walked across the road, I don't depend on my son or my daughter holding my hand. Like, hold my hand. Oh, sorry, you ran out ahead of me. No, I'm holding their hand. And they try to run, you know, away. And they're not going to get away. I got a vice grip on them, right? And that's the power of God in your life. He's holding you. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then uh, Peter says, verse 6, and in this you greatly Rejoice. We're here thankful for God's power, for salvation, that he's holding you. And then, but then he says this, Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Right? Trials can be grieving. 
He says, if you need be. What determines if you need to be? Well, are you mature? Is there something that God wants to do in your life? Is there something he wants to remove in your life? Is there something he wants to show you? Sometimes we have to go through trials to figure that out. A lot of times we don't see what we need. He says, if you need to be, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That God is checking and testing you to see how genuine your faith is. It's for us to know. He already knows. He already knows how genuine our faith is. The trouble is we don't always know how genuine our faith is. We don't always know what's in there. And he says it's more precious than gold that perishes. As gold goes through the fire, like we don't like testing and fire and attached to our name in a sentence usually. But he says when you go through the fire, you come out like gold, more precious. And when gold goes through the fire, it comes out more valuable. The impurities are burned away. When metal goes through the fire, the impurities are scraped off and it's stronger. And that's your life. You're more valuable. You're stronger at the end. But we oftentimes, uh, we want to avoid trials. We want to avoid difficulties but they draw us closer to the Lord. They purify our lives. When we go through hard things, Job says this, I've esteemed thy words more than my necessary food. Job went through great trials, great difficulties, distress, right? But, and, and, and as he's going through it, as he's in the middle of it, Coming out the other side, he says, man, your word, I want that more than I want, you know, Daryl's pizza or more than I want a Thanksgiving meal, right? What's for dinner? I'm going to have the book of James tonight, right? You're, you're going through hard things in your life and the Bible is all you want. You're like, I don't care about food. You wake up early in the morning and you get in the word of God because it's, what is, it's what's sustaining you. It's how you're getting through life, right? Difficult times, you go through deep chasms in your life, deep waters, and it's like the word of God. I need it. Lord, what do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about that? And you walk through it, and you hold on to it, and it's not like you have to memorize a verse, like, oh, we have to memorize it for Sunday school or for whatever. You have to memorize it so you can make it through the day. You have to memorize that verse just so you can walk through the next step in your life. And that's where David actually, you know, the word of God is so alive to him. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He starts to write the word of God. He begins to pen. In fact, it, you know, chapter 19, this is where we get Psalm 59. David goes through this deep, uh, this next step of his trying and, and he writes Psalm 59 where, where he's worried about all these people surrounding the city. And then he realizes by the end of Psalm 59 that, Lord, your hand, you're strong. Your hand's on my life. 
And that's how we grow through adversity, trials, the manufacture of a saint. We're going through these. These aren't elective courses. And so verse 1, he says this in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel. Now Saul's out in the open. Now Saul is, is, is fighting with the Lord here. This isn't, he's not just fighting David. This is God's will. And Saul is fighting against it, and he's become in the open with it now. He speaks to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. When somebody refuses to repent, they begin to get a hardening of heart, hardening of the arteries. And now their judgment is lost, biblical consistency, their ability to reason is gone. And Saul is laid out here as an example. And anytime there's something in your heart, if there's something in your life that, that you know God's putting his finger on, he's putting his finger on it, he's putting his finger on it, it's because God wants to pluck it out now. It, it, now's the time everyone's planting gardens, right? You, everyone's got their tomato plants or not us. I just look at a barren wasteland that we used to call a garden. But people that have gardens, you're planting everything. Everything's exciting. And then in about a month, all the little weeds are popping up in your garden right next to your plants. And you're like, you know what? I think we got another week. Let's, it's fine. Let's, let's let them grow a little bit longer. And then if you're anything like us, and that's why we don't have a garden anymore, all of a sudden we'll, we'll go on vacation for a week or we're away for a week, and the, it's like, where is our garden? All we have is weeds, right? But if you get them when they're this big, it's like, ah, why mess with them? That's too easy, right? We like the weeds that are like this big. And then I'll pull it out, right? But that's the same way with our heart. Like these things get rooted in our heart, and we're like, let's deal with that. No, it's probably fine. I'll get it next week or next. And then all of a sudden, the thing is bigger, and you pull it out, and there goes the tomato plant on the ground, too. You know, it's like, how? I got then you have to replant the tomato plant, and it always affects the fruit. It always affects what's good. And that's the weeds in your life, the weeds in my life. And, and Saul is unwilling to deal with it, he's unwilling to change. And now the weeds are growing up. The things are growing up in his life, and, and it's not good. And now he tells everyone, even though David's done nothing wrong, let's kill him. Let's kill David. And Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. And Jonathan, verse 2, told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. And what I observe, I'll tell you. So now Jonathan has a choice. And the choice isn't, you know, do I love my father more? Do I love David more? Uh, what side do I take? Jonathan, his heart is, truth. His heart is what's right in this situation, right? He, he, his choice isn't made by, you know, his, his father, who's, you know, he's, the Bible says you're supposed to respect and honor part of the Ten Commandments. 
He's not choosing between just Saul and David. He's choosing between right and wrong, what's good and what's not. And he becomes what, what Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, you know, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. They're the sons of God. And he wants to make peace here. He wants to bring some truth into the situation. He wants to preserve David, but he wants to give his dad some truth. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to pour truth all over this thing. He's going to tell his dad, Dad, what, listen, are you, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Right? So he, and, and, and what he's going to do here, we're going to see verse 4. It says, Jonathan spoke well of David. So he goes to his father and he speaks well of David to Saul, his father. And he said to him, don't let the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and he killed the Philistine and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? What does is, what is, uh, Jonathan do? He calls it sin. He says, what you're doing, Dad, is sinful. He doesn't downplay it or brush it off or call it something else. He doesn't say, you know, well, you're Jewish, Dad, and, you know, I, I know you can have a hot temper. You know, Grandpa had a hot temper. Or he doesn't say, you know, that, that's normal to hold a grudge. Dad runs in the family. Or, you know, it's, I understand, you know, Jacob lied. You know, different people lie. It's just in our DNA. He doesn't, he doesn't blame it on that. He says, Dad, what you're doing is sin. It's wrong. It's wrong. He doesn't say, Dad, you've got a chemical imbalance, or, and I'm not discarding that. But what he's doing is calling something sin. Dad, what you're doing is sin. This is wrong. You need to correct your thinking. He doesn't go back to his childhood and say, you know, Dad, you're, I know Grandpa, how he treated you was wrong. And I wasn't, you know, and I know how it's affected you over the years and how, you know, when other people kill more people than you and they write songs about that person, how it upsets you, and that's what it did with Grandpa. You know, he doesn't do that. He says, this is sin. You need to deal with it. You need to deal with it. And if we deal with sin as sin, there's a place to go with sin, right? John says, you know, if you confess your sin, if you confess it, then he's faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse us, right? If you call it something else, you've got nothing to confess. You've got nothing to, get to, to change. And then it grows and grows and grows and grows. But he calls it what it is. Dad, you're sinning. And we can all be fixers. I think that's a good thing, right? To, to be a peacemaker, to be a fixer. My, my, my wife is the ultimate fixer. She likes to fix things, right? She, she doesn't like ha being at odds or at aught with a person. It's hard, right? And it's good. I think that's good. And Jesus said it. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I think that's what Jonathan's doing here. He's trying to bring peace 
but he's also calling out sin. This is wrong. And Saul, verse 6, heeded the voice of Jonathan, and, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. As long, basically, he's saying, as long as God's alive, I'm not going to kill David. He makes an oath. He swears he's not going to do it. That's, my, that's who I used to be. I've changed. But because he heeded Jonathan's voice and not the voice of the Holy Spirit, there's no change. He cannot keep this oath. He hasn't really changed. Nothing's going to be different. He heeds Jonathan's voice. When someone can, can convince you to change your mind and it's not the Holy Spirit and you don't see what you've done through the lens of God's word, especially when it's sin, you'll never change. I can convince somebody to stop or slow down or briefly take a break, but there won't be any change, no lasting change, no lasting fruit. And that's what happens, you know. Jonathan goes to his dad. His dad receives what he says. Amazing. Because he, at one time, if you remember, he wanted to kill Jonathan for eating a little bit of honey. Like, I'll kill my own son for not listening to me. I don't care. That was my rule. And everyone had to step in and say, Dad, 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 come on. It's not right. You can't do that. So Jonathan here, he doesn't know. What does dad will do, really? Takes him privately and says, hey, this dad, this is sin. And, and Saul makes an oath. And, and his son believes him. Jonathan believes him. And Jonathan called David and, and, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. So that, that doesn't necessarily mean it was a good thing. It meant that David is probably on guard again. I'm, I'm there, but I remember that spirit might be, the head of it still might be sticking in the wall. Um, so he's back in, the, in, in, in his palace, in the temple, or in, the, uh, in his courts. And then there's some time that, go, that transpires here. Verse 8, it says, And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Uh-oh, here it comes. And the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in the house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Right? This distressing spirit is back and Saul yields to it. It's, it's the one that Saul can't handle, right? And it's not that the, the, the devil made me do it. It's not, you know, that's the garden blame. Like, Eve, what did you do? Well, you know, the devil made me do it. Adam, what did you do? Oh, Lord, it's the wife you gave me. And, and, and it's the blame shift, blame shift, blame shift. It's not my fault. It was my circumstance or, or whatever, right? So listen, the devil didn't make... Saul do this, Saul yields to that carnal nature, his flesh, his sinful nature, that root that never got dealt with or pulled out in his heart, he just yields to it. He's emotional, 
And that's the way we can be when we're not, and, and, and he tries to kill David again. And he weaponizes, and we mentioned it last week, we, he weaponizes, you know, this spear, whatever's in his hand, and we weaponize things that are in our hand, don't we? You know, usually it's a phone now, right? We don't walk, we don't have to walk around with guns and, and, and spears and bows. Now we have a phone to do our bidding, don't we? With apps on it. Text messages. And he drove the spear in the wall. David fled and escaped that night. And Saul sent messengers to David. It's not good. To watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, or Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Right? How does she know that? Here comes Delta Force into town. People know. She knows, and she's not like, man, I know my dad. He'd never do such a thing. She's like, no, he's going to kill you tonight, David. If you don't save your life tomorrow, you're dead. You better leave, right? She knows her dad. She knows he's serious. She knows his imperfections, right? And, and isn't it amazing? And this is a, a big change. God is actually allowing these people in David's life to be stripped away, stripped away, stripped away. Friendships, 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 right? Jonathan, that friendship's going to be stripped away. His wife, that's going to be stripped away, right? He's going to run. We're going to see him run to Samuel here at the end of the chapter. Even that's going to be stripped away from David. David is going to become a fugitive, and that's really his seminary. These are the hard things that David goes through to become the sweet psalmist, to become the king that God's called him to be. Hard things shape our lives. They mold us. God takes us through this seminary of trials. And she knows. She knows that her father's serious. In verse 12 it says, so, so Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And it says, verse 13, she took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for a head and covered it with clothes, right? That image is a teraphim, and, and, and I, maybe your, your uh, translation says that, but a teraphim is an idol. She takes an idol that's so big in their house that it's literally the size of must be David's head and she lays it on a pillow and you know, puts the pillows in the bed and, and that's, that's the way that she's going to fool these guys that come in. She takes an idol, right? When, when Saul thought in the last chapter, you know what, I'm going to give Michal, my daughter, to David for a wife because she'll be a stumbling block to him. Maybe that's why. Because all of a sudden, she comes into David's house with all these idols. She's got a real problem. Idolatry. She's got an issue, right? And, and doesn't take her long. She just grabs this thing and throws it in the, in the bed, and, and she's gonna, we're going to see that she lies, too. You remember 
in Genesis chapter 31 as Jacob is fleeing his uncle Laban's house. And Rachel grabs a couple, same word, idols, teraphim. She puts them under her seat, under her saddle, and she brings them. Uh, and then Laban comes, takes, you know, catches up with him, says, hey, listen, what are you doing? You took my daughters, my grandkids, and on top of all of that, you took my gods, you took my teraphim, you took my idols? Why? What are you doing? And, and Jacob's like, listen, whoever has those idols is dead meat. Whoever has them, we're going to kill them. And now it puts Rachel in a position with that attitude, she can't repent. How can she, ever, how can she say, all right, I have them, Dad? No, because Jacob's already said, whoever has them, we're going to kill them. The attitude when, when, when you approach your kids, Mom and Dad, are they afraid to tell you? Yeah, I've got this, or I did that, or I've done this, right? We need to punish our kids, you know, whatever, however that works. But do you give them space to repent, or is it like, do they feel like you're going to kill them if they find out, right? And that was, that was a problem with Rachel. She has these idols, and there was no room, no space that she could repent. There was no place to go, because Jacob, said, Jacob says, you know, I'm going to kill anyone who has them. Had no idea that, that, that it was with Rachel. But that's, she's got this image in their house. <clears throat> she covers it with goat's hair. I can't imagine what David's hair looked like. But goat's hair is, works, right? And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she says he's sick. Look at his hair. And then Saul sent messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I'll kill, I'll kill him right there. Just bring the whole bed. I'm not, what do we, can't kill people who are sick? I'm going to kill him anyways. Bring the whole bed. And when the messengers, messengers had come in, there was an image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for a head, goat's hair for its head. And then Saul says to his daughter, why have you deceived me like this? And sent my enemy away so that he has escaped. And she answered Saul and, and, and said, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree for her. It's exactly what her dad's been doing this whole time. Lying, deceiving, Lying, deceiving, manipulating. And what does she do? She could have done what Jonathan did. Her brother grew up in the same house. She could have done that. She could have said, look at what David's done for you. Dad, come on. You're being very rash. There's something wrong here. Why are you acting like this? She doesn't do that, though. She acts like her dad. And she lies. She, dad, well, of course I'm on your side. You're my dad, but he threatened my life, so I had to let him go. And, and, and it drives a wedge between her and David. Ultimately, Saul will give her to another man to marry. We'll see that in a couple chapters. And it's not good. We got to be careful how we behave. Part of the checks and balances in our life and in our heart, we affect other people. Our example affects other people. For lying, manipulating, how we treat people, how we react, 
right? Some of that's learned behavior, right? It's not very hard to learn since we're born sinners, but we're teaching our kids something if they see it in our life. That it's okay. That you, you know, situationally you can lie, or situationally this is okay, right? This isn't set for us as, a, as an example to follow. It's just fact. This is what she did. This is what happened. Doesn't mean it's right. She lies. It says this in verse 18: David fled and escaped, and went to Samuel in Ramah, and told him all Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. David goes to the most spiritual guy in Israel that he knows. It's a safe place for him. He wants to tell him what's happening. What should I do? What's, look, here's what's going on. right? Why did you anoint me king, he might have said. What were you thinking? Didn't you know Saul, Saul would try to kill me? Remember Samuel was actually afraid to anoint David because he said, man, if Saul finds out, he'll kill me. And he anoints him anyways. I don't know if Samuel said, yeah, I kind of knew that. But David did not probably see that coming initially. And he just wants to be encouraged. He wants to talk to someone who's spiritually minded. And he goes to Samuel and probably gets some encouragement. right? But this is heartbreaking for, for Samuel, what's going on. And they're probably praying, getting in, you know, encouraged. Eventually, David is going to have this divine isolation experience where it's just him and the Lord. Now it doesn't even have Samuel. All these people in his life are pulled away. It's just him and the Lord as he has to flee. And it says in verse 19, it was told Saul saying, take note, David is in Naoth and Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw this group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as the leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent another set of messengers and they prophesied likewise. And then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also, right? The, 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 these two groups of men, there's, there's Saul's servants and then Samuel's servants. Samuel's servants are prophets. They're men of God. They, they want to learn the word of God. Saul's, these guys are murderers. They want to kill David. They're just doing Saul's bidding. But they come into Samuel's presence. You know, they probably walked into, you know, whatever, church service. Or wherever the, 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 the school of the prophets was. And they begin to prophesy. Right? That influence that Samuel had in people's life was amazing. These guys came in with murder in their heart and they ended up prophesying. They were changed right there. Right? That's what God does. You know, people sometimes their motive for coming to church isn't pure. Surprise, surprise, right? I remember when I was single, you know, we were, I was going to church and I was thinking, I got to find a good singles Bible study here. What's going on, Lord? Right? We got to find, I got to Time's run, the clock's ticking here, right? And, you know, people come to church because they want, it's the, the best place to find someone, right? Church, if, you, if you're single. But sometimes people's motives aren't pure. And their motive certainly wasn't pure coming to Samuel, but God steps in 
and their full potential, what they could have been and what they should have been with the right influence in their life is what they become. They begin to prophesy. Their life is changed because of Samuel's influence on other people, because of his influence and the influence in other people's lives and how that spreads. Verse 22. It says, and he also went to Ramah, Saul, and came to the great well at, at Sichu. And so he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And that's it. Where are they? And someone said, indeed, they're at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he stripped off all his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner. And he lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? So he wasn't naked, naked. He took off his outer robe, that same robe that Jonathan had given to David, saying, you're the next king. This is yours. That's really the robe that he took off. And he just laid down and prophesied, right? And it's the same thing he did in chapter 10. As God touched Saul's heart originally in chapter 10, and, and, and he begins to prophesy, and people were like, is Saul among the prophets? What is going on here? I've never seen him act like this, right? Some people have an experience at church. They have an experience. They you know, hear the word of God, and all of a sudden they want to react to it, right? And this, is, this was Saul, right? And, and you hear the word of God, you react, you respond to it, and you maybe make a commitment. Some people get saved. Sometimes it doesn't stick, but God meets him right there. He's ready to kill David, and God's spirit comes upon him to change him. He could have stayed that way. He could have said, you know what? This, is, this was better than what I was doing, but you know what? He doesn't stay there doesn't change. And some people have great experiences. Man, they raised, the, you know, for a long time, raise their hand in worship. They go to church, and then all of a sudden, uh, things change in a life. They're different. They're different. You know, the Bible says, Paul says to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, right? To look at the fruit. You know, when I look at my trees, you know, sometimes I can tell what they are by their bark or their leaves because I kind of know them. But I, I know what I planted and where they are. But the Bible says to examine your fruit. That's how you're guaranteed to know who you are, what you're doing. What's the fruit of your life? What's that look like? Fruit is how you examine yourself. What's the fruit of my life? Do I walk around hating people all the time? Do I walk around angry? Do I walk around? What do you do? What's, you know, not here at church, because we're all different at church, right? Everyone puts on their Sunday best, usually. But what's the fruit of your life? What's the fruit of my life? What does it look like when we leave church, when we get behind the wheel, Right? And you're heading, to, you're heading to the restaurant and somebody pulls out in front of you really slow. 
Doesn't mean you're not saved, but you might need to examine the fruit there. Lord, I need more patience. I need, you know, whatever. We should be examining ourselves. Super important. Is Saul among the prophets? Did something happen in his life where he's changed? Is this for real? Is this for real? We're going to take communion, and it's a good time for examination, just to ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on in my life? Who am I? Are there roots that I've allowed in my heart that need to get weeds, roots of weeds in my life that need to get pulled out, things that aren't good, that are destroying the good fruit, the things that you want in my life? Things you, you're expecting from my life? Am I allowing things to stay there that you want to remove, that you want to take out? Sometimes it's there, you know, for all of us. It's not bad. That grows. <laughs> Weeds just come in. You don't plant them. Like when I plant a tomato plant, if I remember back 10 years ago, when I plant a tomato plant, I don't think, here's some weed seeds I got to plant real quick just so I have a chance to pluck them out. No, they're there. They're there. Right? They're seeded in there. They got to get plucked out. But sometimes they just grow. When you water, when you, when I water the tomato plants, it's also watering those seeds and those seeds got to go. So it's a good time, you know, we're going to take communion to examine yourself. To take a peek, ask God to, Lord, search my heart. That's what David said. Search and try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. What's in there? Because our hearts are deceitful, desperately wicked. We don't know all the time. We think of the best of ourselves, usually. God's word is an amazing mirror. Sometimes we don't like what we see, but it's necessary to look in there. Sometimes it's ugly, but it's good because God doesn't want to leave us there. He's faithful to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us, right? To wash us. We need that. So Lord, we're thankful for your word, for the truth of it, God, that it would examine us, Lord. It's alive. Uh, we, get in, we, we get in your word, Lord, and, and, uh, it's, and we read it and it speaks to us right where we're at, what we need to hear. Uh, you tell us that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And that's what we want to be, Lord, as your, your children, Lord. We want to seek your face. We want to hear your voice. We want to know your will. So examine our hearts, Lord, as we take communion. Uh, help us to see our hearts uh, the way you see them. Lord, you love us. There's no question. That's why you died for us. Uh, but you've also come to cleanse our lives, to change our lives. You don't want to see us in that same condition. We don't want to be like Saul, Lord. Blind unwilling to change. God, we want to be like David, imperfect, maybe even worse than, than Saul in some ways. But he has a heart after you. 
and he's got a heart to change, ears to hear, Lord. Give us that today, Jesus, in your name.